Good morning again. So several of our passages have a common theme in them. That the Lord wants to invite all of us into a relationship with him. And that this relationship is a relationship of complete joy. And the symbol for this in our passages is a feast. Psalm 23, the Lord wants to set a table for you in the presence of your enemies. This is to say that this feast that the Lord is inviting you into is not just a feast in heaven someday. It is a feast that is to begin now, even in the midst of all the evil that comes against you in your life. All the ways that your life is afflicted with the brokenness of the world. But then in Isaiah 25, we have a picture of what the Lord wants to do when all things are made right in the world. When things are as they should be. When heaven comes to earth on this mountain, the Lord of hosts will set for you, will make for you a feast of all this delicious, these delicious things, right? Of food full of marrow, of well-aged wine. You may not like wine now. One day you will. And you may not be able to enjoy wine now as it's made to be enjoyed. One day you will. But then this picture becomes even clearer in Jesus' parable. This joy that the Lord is wanting to invite you into it's a wedding feast. It's a wedding feast. But here's the place that I want to spend the most time this morning. The problem is that there are many ways to say no to God's invitation. Lots of ways to say no. But there's only one way that you can say yes. This is what I want to talk to you about this morning. Jesus in this parable is uncovering the spectrum of ways that many of us actually say no to God's invitation to us to joy. To joy that is beyond this world. Many of us, without even realizing it, say no to that invitation. But there's only one way to actually say yes to that invitation. So I want to show you three ways in this parable that Jesus says that we can say no to the invitation that God offers to us. The first of them is very, very subtle. The first way that you can say no to God's invitation to joy and to this feast is distraction. It's just simply being distracted. Listen to what Jesus says. All these people have received an invitation. A king has giving a, is giving a wedding feast for his son. He sent his servants to call those who were already invited to come to the feast. Look, they've got the invitation on their fridge, right? But they haven't shown up for the wedding. The king is having to spend more time going to chase the people he's invited to come than actually preparing for the feast. It's already and no one's shown up. So he goes out to tell those who are invited to come to the feast. But they would not come, it says. Again, he sent other servants saying, 
Tell those who are invited, see, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. And here's what we're told. But they paid no attention and went off. One to his farm, another to his business. These people don't even have the dignity to say no. (laughs) They simply ignore the invitation. It's as if the invitation has gotten lost in the mail. They're just too busy to even respond to the invitation that's being offered. And listen to the things that they're doing instead. They're going off to their one to his farm, another to his business. I, I think there's something in here that all of us can hear and pay attention to. Most of us think that the things that will cause us to miss God's invitation to heaven or to joy, to relationship to Him, are really notorious bad sins. That stuff that you just, you're not supposed to do. The really, really bad things. But here Jesus is saying, That it's not just the really bad things that can cause you to say no to God and to miss his invitation. It's actually things that are even good, but that you turn into more important than they should be. A farm, a business, these aren't bad things, are they? They can be very, very good things. But when they become the kind of things that consume your life and cause you to be unable to hear the voice of God in your life. They're no longer good things. This is actually why one uh, Christian and a pastor from long ago, he said that the human heart is an idol factory. An idol factory. What did he mean by that? He meant that the human heart is able to turn anything into an idol. There are these wonderful things that God gives us in life to enjoy. But very easily they can slip into a category in our life when we begin to worship them and they cause us to no longer be able to hear God and what He wants to say to us. So I think when I'm reading this passage this week, I thought about this area in my own life. This time of year, I I love the way the weather's changing, and I love to think about going into the woods and sitting in a tree stand that's about 500 yards from here. It's amazing. I go sit in that tree stand while it's still dark and quiet, and slowly the woods begin to wake up. The sun starts to rise, and I can see the light begin to shine into the woods I can hear the birds start to sing and the squirrels start to rustle. I I just love everything about it. I love it. Here's the problem with it. This time of year, I also start thinking about all the gear that I need that will make me a better hunter. And I also start to think about how much time can I actually get out there by myself, by myself. How much time can I get away out there? What are the things that I can neglect? 
You see, the problem with this thing that I think even God appreciates many aspects of it is that I can easily let this thing become an idol in my life that distracts me from God himself. It's a gift God wants to give me, but I can let it become something that distracts me from God himself. I'm sure there are things in your life that God is, wants to give you, gifts that he wants to give you. But is it possible that you've let any of those gifts become so important that they're actually doing the opposite and they're distracting you from God? Is that possible? Several hundred years ago, in the 1600s, there was a Christian named Blaise Pascal. And Blaise Pascal said that the great enemy of the spiritual life was not these great notorious sins. The great enemy was actually distraction, he said. And he said the problem, the root of all evil, is that man is not able to sit in a room quietly alone for 15 minutes. Now, you could say, well, that's because the technology was so good in the 1600s, right? They had just invented the printing press. Watches were becoming popular. Can you believe that someone was saying this in the 1600s? How about us today? What are the things that are distracting you? That could lull you so much and that you don't even hear the invitation that God's offering to joy, to pure joy. I, I was struck as we sang, sang this song, By Thy Mercy, when the world around is smiling in the time of wealth and ease, earthly joys our hearts beguiling in the days of health and peace. Listen. If you want not to be distracted, you have to be ruthless in your life against the things that are distracting you. Ruthless, I'm telling you. Are there places in your life you are being ruthless to cut out the distractions that could keep you from hearing God? Are you? I want to say to parents and, you know, my generation, are you letting children and children's activities overtake your life in such a way that they're distracting you from the most important things that God wants to do in your life? You have to be ruthless. To people in every generation, is there a day of the week when you decide we're going to do nothing this day? We're going to set this day aside so that we make sure that we're able to hear the voice of God in our lives, in our family, in our household. Are you being ruthless to cut out distraction to make sure that you can hear God? Remember, it's not just the big sins that can keep you from him. It's all the small things that add up in life that can keep you from hearing his invitation, that can cause you to say no to him without even realizing it. There's a second way that we can say no to God. This one is actually more obvious. It's in the next phrase. So these people, they pay no attention. They go off, one to his farm, another to his business. And then it says, while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. Wow. How is it that people could be so offended by a wedding invitation that they could kill the messenger? What's going on here? 
Jesus seems to be exposing the people's sin that he's talking to. These people who are actually going to kill him, in fact. And the thing that seems to be going on is that there are some people who could be so offended by the graciousness that God is inviting them into through Jesus. Look, this king is providing everything for his feast, isn't he? He's not, people ask, what can I bring? And he's like, no, nothing. I am preparing everything. And these people who respond in such a brutal way, who say no in such a violent way, are those who are saying in some sense, how dare you be so gracious? How dare you give away forgiveness so freely? They are insisting that somehow they are going to earn their own way. And listen, this may sound so unfamiliar to you. And it, I, I recognize few of us are going to be violent in our responses to Jesus. But how many of us in some way will say to Jesus, I can't let you be that gracious to me. I have to earn my own way. There are many of us, when we examine our lives closely enough, that could recognize there are places in our lives where we're trying to earn our own way to the wedding feast. Where we're not receiving the grace of God freely into our lives, but we're trying to earn it. And in some way, we have to lay down our arms and we have to accept that the only way we can get into this feast is by letting God provide for us and show us His grace. So these are two ways that you can say no to God. One is simply through distraction. Simply distraction. A second way is you can be more brutal about it. And you can say, absolutely not. I will not let you be that kind to me. That gracious to me. There is a third way here, though, that we can say no to God. And this is, we can say yes to God on the outside but we can say no to him in our hearts. Listen to this last scenario in the story. It starts in verse 11. It says that the king comes in to look at the guests and he sees there a man who has no wedding garment. And he says to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And the man is speechless. And the king says to the attendants, bind him hand and foot, Cast him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now let's have a little moment of honesty. How many people are confused by that part of the story? Yeah, right? This is, this is a very confusing story. Especially this part of it. Even this week, I was like, what in the world does this mean? And this week, was, I felt like for the first time, it was like, okay, I'm starting to understand this a little bit. One of the things that makes sense of it is that the Apostle Paul, in several of his letters, is going to say to people that when you believe in Jesus and you come to faith in Him, you have to put off your old way of life like taking off your clothes. And you have to put on a new way of life. The new way of life that comes with Jesus. You have to put on new clothes. 
This is exactly what Paul says. You have to put off your old clothes and put on your new clothes. That's what's happening here in a way. Listen, this king provided an an incredible feast, didn't he? If anyone would have needed new clothes to get in here, the king provided them. This person, they were offered the new clothes and they said, no. Instead, in some sense, this person comes into the wedding feast. They have, in a sense, believed in Jesus. They've come into his kingdom, but they've refused to change their way of living. They've tried to hold on to all their own ways, old ways. They've kept on their old clothes. And listen, this is a thing about God's kingdom. God's kingdom, when all is said and done and all is made right in the world, God will not allow one ounce of evil to remain. And that's because God loves us so much that he was going to rid his kingdom of all evil. And so if we are trying to come into his kingdom, we have to be willing to let him rid us of our evil. We have to be willing to put on the new clothes. Now here's an, a really special thing in this story. And especially the, in this part. We've been given a concrete example of a person who comes in and says yes on the outside, but says no on the inside. That concrete person that give, is an example is the person of Judas, the disciple. You see, when... The king sees this person at the wedding banquet. He says, friend, how did you get in here without any clothes? And do you know the only other place that Jesus uses this word friend? Judas comes to a garden at night to give over Jesus. And when Judas walks up to him, Jesus says to him, friend, Why are you here? This is remarkable. To the very end, even to the point of Judas' deception, Jesus wanted him to be his friend. But instead, Judas is giving him over, deceiving him. And after this moment where Judas, he kisses Jesus even. He tells the soldiers, the person I kiss is the one. So he kisses Jesus. The soldiers arrest him. And then they were told that they go out of the garden. And it says it was night. And this is an exact parallel to this parable that we're listening to. Where the king says, bind him hand and foot. And cast him into the outer darkness. Now listen very carefully. After this moment, Judas is tied in his own knots. By deceiving Jesus, he begins to torture himself. And it becomes his own hell. A hell of his own making. Did Judas do this to himself or did God do it to him? Judas does this by deceiving the Lord Jesus himself, by not being willing to become his friend. He says yes on the outside, but he says no on the inside. He doesn't completely change and trust in Jesus. 
And I want to say this to you too and to all of us. If you say yes to Jesus on the outside, but you say absolutely not to him on the inside, you will begin to torture yourself. You will tie yourself in all kinds of knots. And you will create a hell of your own making. Are you saying yes to Jesus? Not just on the outside, but on the inside too. Are you fully giving yourself to Him? Are you taking off your old clothes and putting on the new clothes of Jesus' own death and His righteousness and His love, His surrender? Are you surrendering yourself completely to Him? Now remember, there are all kinds of ways that we can say no to God and His invitation to joy. But there's only one way that we can say yes. One way. It's this interesting thing. There's no bride mentioned in this story, is there? Where is the bride? This only makes sense when you read the rest of the Bible. This is an amazing thing about this story. Everyone who is invited is actually the bride. You are the bride. Jesus is inviting you to your own wedding. He is the bridegroom who lays down his life to make the church his own bride. The only way you can say yes to him is by accepting the feast that he wants to give you. By accepting his death for your sin and saying, I can't save myself, only you can save me. And by laying yourself down. And trusting that he can make much more of you than you can make of yourself. Are you saying yes to him? Are you saying yes completely? Now, I I want to give a strong encouragement to you, Church of the Lamb. Listen, the church doesn't always do a good job of this, admittedly. But the church is supposed to be the symbol of the joy of this feast. Last week on Sunday evening, you did a great job being a symbol of this joy. And listen, I know the the church has sinned. The church has grieved God and done wrong. But the church is still the bride of Jesus. And every husband who is worth his salt will not let you talk bad about his bride. Okay, amen husbands, amen wives. So you may have seen the church do awful things. Do not use that as an excuse not to give your whole self to Jesus' bride. And to help make it the joy and the symbol of the feast that God is inviting people into for eternity. There are lots of ways that you can say no to God. But there's only one way that you can say yes to Him. Are you saying yes? In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.